Welcome to Hablando de Tequila. I'm your host, Zach Jubal. Throughout this six-part series, we'll explore the history, people, culture, and future of tequila. On today's episode, I'm joined by Stephen Halpin, Trade Education and Mixology Manager for Patron Tequila, as we dive into that most iconic of tequila cocktails, the margarita. We discuss the history, the making of that perfect cocktail, and some fun variations. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And I got to say, I think you might have gotten the best episode, Stephen. I'm not <laughs> sure on this. They're all great, of course. But man, uh, the margarita is such a, not only an iconic cocktail, not only a great cocktail, but a great story. And I think I want to kind of start there. Um, well, actually, first, let's start here. Let's start with your story. So, Stephen, what's what's your background? Um, how did you kind of come to be, you know, working for Patron Tequila and, you know, a mixology expert? So for me, my I've been a bartender since I was 16. I grew up in Dublin, Ireland. It was legal to be a bartender at that age over there. And then I came to the States for college and bartended all the way through it. I've just took me a while to realize that that was where my true passion was. It was always a way of paying the bills and paying off college and all of that. But really got passionate for it when I moved to New Zealand after school. I got to work in a craft cocktail bar over there and really kind of caught the bug. And then from there, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and that's where I live now. Worked at a few bars before I had the opportunity to actually, ironically, be a part of a competition with Patron called Margarita of the Year. And I created a cocktail for that competition, and I had the opportunity to go down to Mexico and see the Hacienda and see where Patron is made. And again, caught the bug. I just Mm. came back and could not stop talking about Patron, some of the things that I got to see down there and how... I just felt like there was a story to be told down there that not many people were realizing. Patron does a lot of things that are very, very special for sure. Yeah. And so uh, after that, I I guess a job was created for me, kind of came around that through making that cocktail and working on some cocktails kind of as a freelance thing that a job was created for me. And I've been with them now since um, May of 2016, so five and a half years or so. Very cool. So now let's let's get into this history of the margarita. So caveat before we get started, I'm sure you'll mention this too, that like many classic cocktails, there's a lot of haziness around exactly <laughs> who created it, when it was created, but there's a great, they're great stories. So, so Stephen, can you kind of, for the listeners, just kind of sketch out what we believe to be true about the origins of the margarita? Yeah, I think like to touch on your point before, I'm really happy to be telling the story of the margarita because it's not like I'm trying to introduce you to an obscure cocktail that you've never heard of before. Pretty much Everyone knows margarita is now the most popular cocktail in the world. It was, had been for a long time, the number one cocktail in the U.S., but it's now expanded out to being the number one cocktail in the world, which we definitely know that Patron played a huge, big part in that. But to take it back to the very beginning, where where it gets a little hazy, alcohol is involved, as you kind of mentioned, the story gets a little bit hazy. But I guess to really kind of start it off, we should start with like some of the characters that we should introduce and, and understanding that one of the cocktails that was popular back in 1873, we see the first mention of the Whiskey Daisy. It was invented in New York near the stock exchange at a bar called Eberlin's. And that was basically where this origin story kind of begins. You get the Whiskey Daisy kind of gets passed by by the Gin Daisy, which comes up and we see that in mentioned in cocktail books from starting around 1913 or so and a daisy essentially is just 
it, it gets mixed around, but essentially it lands at a spot where it's gin, lemon, and an orange liqueur. And so okay. that's kind of the mix of it. And so at that point, tequila is not even really anything on the map. We see like the very first cocktail book is ever is produced in 1862. And we don't see a cocktail pop up on any cocktail book until 1937. That's when you see a new character, the Picador. Uh-huh. Picador is probably something that most people have not heard of. It's the exact same ingredients as, as a classic margarita, that orange liqueur, lime, and obviously tequila, but in equal parts. And so I don't know where it came from. It's not delicious. Uh, it's not bad, but it's not delicious by any means. And so it definitely needed some refining. And I think that that's kind of where the, the margarita started to step in. What else happened? I guess understanding around that time, you've got a couple of things that were really going on. You had you had gone through uh, prohibition from 1920 mm-hmm. to 1933. You also had World War II from 1939 to 1945. And so during that time, you had a lot. There was a massive, the golden era of cocktails were kind of right before that where like people were really getting into it lots and lots of cocktails were invented prior to that point and then you had a lull and you also had a lot during those like the bad times i guess you had a lot of distilleries that either were destroyed through world war ii or had shut down because of prohibition Mm -hmm. and so one thing we know that no matter what happens in the world we're we're definitely going to be drinking and so that kind of left a vacuum And I guess it created an opportunity for tequila to start coming in. And so 1941 is really when we see a rise in tequila starting to cross the border and coming into the U.S. in a more popular way. So you have this increasing exposure in the United States to tequila and this sort of existing rubric for, you know, citrus juice plus orange liqueur plus spirit. And and obviously we'll get into this more later, kind of how exactly how essential all three of those, well, obviously tequila is essential, but, but, you know, the orange liqueur, the lime, the citrus juice, how that, you know, how you kind of play with that uh, in various versions of the margarita. But I was also going to ask, you know, is part of the story of this cocktail, not just the sort of increased presence of, of tequila in the United States, but also does, is there anything about sort of an increased just general I would say American interest in Mexico more broadly. I think, I think a lot of that more stems from the fact that we know that a lot of bartenders during prohibition left to go either to Europe Mm. or head South and go down to Mexico. And I think that's where that influence kind of came. So when they were able to come back, obviously they brought this newfound like spirit with them, but you also had people who were wealthy enough to be able to travel and would go down to Mexico to get their fix and mm-hmm. came across different cocktails and, and we're discovering this new spirit. And I think that plays a big part too. Gotcha. So now we're in the we're in the sort of post-World War II era. Tequila's a little bit on the rise. Kind of what how how do we get from there to the world's most popular cocktail? I guess to understand, we know that the cocktails originated somewhere between the late 30s and early 40s. But the thing to kind of understand is that really we find out that it's not until 1955 that people start to research where this cocktail originated from. So it's it's a while, it's at least a decade afterwards that they're only starting to ask the questions about how this came to be. And so, again, it gets hazy and, and there's like 
definitely some emerging characters like one one that we know for sure in 1939 there was a bar called Taylor the Cock and that was an absolutely like overwhelmingly popular bar for making a cocktail called a margarita they served it on their menu and it was really a man named Vern Underwood who was a liquor importer who noticed that that bar he had, uh, out of all of his accounts they were selling more tequila than all of the rest of them combined wow and so we know that was a, a place that kind of claimed their, their claim to fame is that they created the margarita. It was a man named uh, Henry John Durlisser, and he, he created that cocktail, but he wasn't interviewed until 1955 about it. And so at first he claimed that he created it in 1939. And then he came back to another magazine when he was talking to Bon Appetit. And he said, actually, I think it was 1936. And, um, and his story is, that he was to rep, trying to replicate a cocktail for a lady that she had had one time in Mexico. Her name was Margaret, oh. and so he named the drink after her. And that's his story of how he he claims it came to be, which definitely makes sense. You know what I mean? It checks out with the the lineage of what we've just talked about. But again, it's a little bit unclear as to like the specific date, and there's a lot of other people that were kind of doing the same thing. The next character, I guess, to introduce would be the jazz singer Peggy Lee. Okay. And at a studio called Santa Cruz Studio, which was in Galveston, Texas, this cocktail was created for her. And essentially, it's a, he claimed that it was just a twist on a sidecar, which was what mm-hmm. a popular cocktail at that time in the 1940s. And a sidecar is essentially brandy or cognac um, with orange liqueur and lemon. And so he was making a twist on this cocktail and the guitarist that was working there, Dave Barber, he named it Margarita with Peggy being short for Margaret, which I, I didn't know about. Didn't, yeah, I didn't know really check out. But yeah, Peggy would be the nickname for um, someone who had the name of Margaret. And so that's where he gave he gave it more of a Latin twist. And so the name Margarita is how he claims that. But he doesn't say that that happened until 1948. And we already know um, from research through like documents and stuff like that, we know that the first advertisements for the margarita, like liquor brands or tequila brands, were starting to advertise the margarita in 1948. So it doesn't really check out that she would have uh, created a cocktail and it instantly sprung to fame. And then, you know, obviously there's there's so much fascinating history here, and I would love to, to have time to get into yeah, yeah. all of it. But but let's let's take maybe one or two more key critical points along the way and and look at them. So we've got this sort of early origin story that's a little bit murky. It's it's a little bit unclear who kind of creates it. But but you know, you've kind of already got at this a little bit. Who who popularizes the margarita, regardless of who invents it? Kind of how does it enter American consciousness in a wholesale way? I guess that that bar definitely Taylor the Cock was the one that created it or claimed to have created it. If they did or not, regardless, they are definitely responsible for spreading the word out. That was kind of where we start to see it getting more and more popular. Starting in the mid-1950s, that's when it starts to go national. Um, And instead of seeing it in border towns to Mexico or border uh, states to Mexico, like California and Texas, you start to see it all the way throughout the U.S. I think the next kind of step for it would be the creation of the frozen margarita. Yeah. That's the, I I live in Dallas, Texas, and that's where that story kicks off. By this time, 1960s, 1970s, 
the margarita is everywhere. And so are frozen drinks. Everyone is putting cocktails into a blender and, and serving them on ice. It's a new trend and everyone's doing it. Prior to this, the margarita in whatever, um, wherever it was being made, it was always served in a coupe glass or mm -hmm. a martini style glass and was always served up. It was not served on the rocks at this point. We don't really start to see it being served on the rocks until the late 60s. So that's something to kind of keep in mind and definitely my favorite way of enjoying the cocktail still, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Absolutely. So in this bar in Dallas at Mariano's, um, they were famous for their margaritas and bartenders there would make 250 to 300 of them a night. Wow. Single serving, making them in a blender over and over and over again. And I guess one night, the man who ran that bar, he walked out after a long shift and went to a 7-Eleven and saw the Slurpee machine. The Slurpee machine had been invented two years prior to that in 1969. And I guess he had an aha moment that you know, here's a frozen beverage coming out of this uh, machine. I serve frozen beverages. I need to figure out how to make those two things work. And so mm -hmm. he was able to acquire one modified it slightly to be able to make the margarita freeze inside of it and still be able to be served. And thus the frozen margarita machine was born. And that original one from his bar is in the Smithsonian museum now to this day. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. That's yeah, that definitely is. Destiny strikes you as like, uh, wait a second here. Here's an easier way to do this, which uh, I can imagine if you're making 300 of them a night became very, very important for sure. I think to back it up, Really, what we've kind of laid the groundwork for is it's it's a hazy background. There's a lot of pieces that kind of do make sense. But what we do kind of can figure out is that tequila cocktails were popular in Mexico from bartenders that moved down there at that point and were creating tequila cocktails. And we saw that rise post-Prohibition and post-World War II. Mm -hmm. What makes sense is that one of the cocktails that was popular at that time that I mentioned earlier was the Daisy and the daisy was typically made with gin, lemon, and an orange liqueur. And so it, to me, it makes sense. If you are wealthy enough to be able to travel down to Mexico and you go down and you're looking for your, your favorite drink, the daisy, and you ask a bartender to make it and they don't have your favorite gin or they, they show you and they introduce you to a new, a new spirit, tequila, and you decide, all right, let's make a daisy, but let's switch it up. And so that that's something that bartenders do all the time, take twists and riffs on classic cocktails. And so it makes sense to me that a bartender would switch out the tequila for the gin and would switch out lime for lemon, which they would have had in plentiful amounts, and then um, using an orange liqueur. And then when you want to take it one step further, the Spanish name for daisy is margarita. And that to me is the absolute, like that's the, the be all and end all as far as I'm concerned. That mm -hmm. that story, no matter what famous margarita pops up in history, I think that that one is the one that just makes the most sense. Yeah, it's kind of Occam's razor, right? It's the simplest explanation. Absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't require sort of one person somehow inventing a drink, which I mean, obviously people do invent drinks. It's not unheard of, but then also kind of promulgating it throughout you know, drinks culture. So, okay, we, we've gotten some fascinating history. Let's let's bring things into the present and talk about kind of, first and foremost, the sort of classic structure of the cocktail. So if I were to say to you, Stephen, I would like a margarita. What do you make? What goes in the glass, in the shaker or in the glass or whatever? And in what proportions? So for me, our classic margarita is going to be made with Patron Silver. That's just 
the best version as far as I'm concerned. The classic is always going to be the the hero. And for me, it's going to always be an ounce and a half of Patron Silver. It's going to be one ounce of Citron Orange. It's going to be three quarters of an ounce of lime juice. And then finally, like the modifier of adding a little bit of sweetness, anywhere between a quarter of an ounce and a half an ounce. I like my cocktails a little bit on the sweeter side, especially citrus ones, just to kind of balance out the tartness. And so I'll go about half an ounce, but I usually will ask someone what way they like it. If they like it more on the drier side, just more tart, then I'll take it down to a quarter ounce. But that's going to be that's everything that you need. Then key steps, packing that shaker with ice, getting it as cold as you can, as quickly as you can, shaking it up nice and hard. And then for me, I like the cocktail served up. I like to go back to that classic way of doing it. And so taking a coupe or a martini glass and straining it over the top. One thing, I I guess the options would be adding salt on the rim. If someone likes it that way, then I would do it. For me, I kind of find a good like crowd pleaser, or if I'm making a bunch of them, I'll add a pinch of salt right into the margarita before I shake it to give that consistent salinity all the way through the cocktail. Every single drop is going to be the exact same. Instead of getting like a clump of salt or running out of it on the rim, you've got it great from beginning to end. Okay, so I want to kind of look at each of these ingredients in in isolation for a minute well, as we talk about this, and then we'll we'll kind of dive into some variations. So obviously, first and foremost, the tequila always, in any cocktail generally, the base spirit is going to be you know the most important element. So you mentioned that uh, Patron Silver is going to be kind of for you the, the benchmark for making this cocktail. So first of all, kind of why a Silver or Blanco tequila as opposed to maybe a version with some age and then kind of when you're looking at a tequila more generally like what in that category are you looking for to ensure that you're getting the best possible margarita so for me silver tequila is is just going to be the cleanest expression for me patron silver has all of the things that play well in for a uh, to make a great margarita one of the key notes that you're always going to get when you smell and when you taste Patron Silver is going to be that fresh roasted agave. And then right backed up after that is going to be bright citrus notes of lime and then a hint of black pepper. And all of those things go really, really well in a margarita. It gives it all of the body that you're going to need. And then as far as specifically looking at a an unaged expression, we'll talk a little bit about using some of the more aged expressions in margarita or margarita variants. But but why is it that you feel like just in general that that style of tequila is is the best? For me, an unaged tequila, Patron Silver, is going to have that clean, crisp quality to it that is going to make the best margarita, that crisp citrusy note. When you do start to take a twist on it, when you do start to add in like Patron Reposado makes a fantastic margarita. It's just going to have a slight difference to it. What I find is that it's only been aged. The Reposado is going to just be Patron Silver that has gone into a barrel for about three to four months. Just rested. That's what Reposado means. And so it's just rested in there. It's mellowed out a little bit. And it's picked up some of those characteristics that you would get from a barrel. Those vanilla notes, slight hints of caramel. And those are just kind of subtle body notes that will come out in your margarita. But really, really what you'll find is that it's just got a little bit more body. It's not as crisp and to the point. It's a little bit more well-rounded. And so we call that one the perfect margarita. With, with Patron Silver, it's going to be the classic. And with Patron Reposado, it's going to be the perfect one. 
And Stephen, you know, you mentioned Citronge and, and obviously the orange liqueur is a, an important part of this cocktail as well. What what exactly are we looking at here? Citronge is just a, a great orange liqueur that we make that is made from the orange essence from Mexico. And we have this a kind of belief in, in everything that we try and do as far as cocktail creation. If it grows together, it goes together. Limes grow right alongside agaves down in Mexico. And the same thing with that citrus coming from there, it's going to lift it up. It's literally made to complement the perfect margarita. And that's exactly what it does. Very cool. And then lime juice, you know, you mentioned obviously the grows together, goes together component, you know, for a lot of people who are going to be approaching this cocktail at home, you know, they may not be growing limes. So they're working with (laughs) store-bought limes or some kind of uh, pre-juice situation. Obviously, well, Let's see here. Why don't you give us your ideal scenario for for lime juice and then maybe some reasonable accommodations for people who don't happen to live in lime growing climates? Absolutely. For me, fresh is best. So if you are making a margarita, the best quality that you can possibly do is fresh squeeze your own juice. One of the things that I really love to do if I'm making them one at a time, I love an elbow juicer. That juicer that opens up, has two handles to it. You put half a lime inside of it and you basically squeeze it and turn it inside out. And that's different than the like what we would call the like sunkist uh, juicers that you just hold down, it spins and kind of tears up the inside. The difference with that elbow juicer is it's also pressing out the zest And so you'll get some of those oils and really does lift up, especially the aromas of that margarita. That's absolutely the best way. The next best, I guess, would be a place that would fresh squeeze it for you. It may have sat there for a day or so. Usually they're pretty good about fresh squeezing it on a daily, uh, but that's going to be the next best. After that, your options start to step down. You'll have pasteurized juice, which is a little bit more shelf stable. Most of the time that's going to be kept in the refrigerated section, that's going to be the next best. And then more shelf-stable juice that sits on the shelf in the grocery store and can last months, if not years, that's going to be the next option. Not the best, definitely not what I would be recommending to do. I think we're lucky enough to live in a time where limes are readily easily available, and that's going to be the best bet all the time. You don't even need a juicer as long as you're just taking it and hand squeeze it, cut it in half, squeeze it out and just measure it. That's the one thing that I would say is a margarita is all about balance. And so you don't just want to say that it's going to be a half a lime or a whole lime every time because they vary in it for sure. What I would recommend is just sticking with that three quarters of an ounce of lime juice and it's going to give you a perfect margarita every time. And I should have asked this before when you were talking about building the cocktail, but do you double strain a margarita? Do you like to get, you know, all the pulp and all the everything else out of it? Is that is that kind of an essential part of the drink to you? If I'm serving it up in a coupe glass, I do. Just because okay. it leaves you a nice clean glass at the end. If I'm serving it on the rocks, I don't really focus too much on that. But sure. just for those who don't know, double straining would be that you would have your strainer over your shaker. And then you would have an additional strainer that you would be pouring into more like a tea strainer, just a bigger version, a basket strainer, and you would be pouring through that. And so the original strainer is keeping back the ice and part of the pulp maybe, but then the the fine strainer is going to take out all the rest and leave you just with a clean margarita. And then, you know, you mentioned salt and, and I love that tip of kind of adding a little bit of salt into the shaker itself. That's definitely something I do at home when I make my margaritas because I like that salty note without having to deal with salting a rim. But that's it. If you if you are confronted or you do like a salted rim, do you have a good technique for that? 
I think what I try and do is if I know someone loves it, then I will take half a lime and I'll take their glass and I'll wipe it all the way around on the outside. And then I'll have a plate of kosher salt um, and I'll roll that outside of that glass, pressing it in and getting that, that salt to stick onto the outside. What I don't like to see is where someone takes a glass, dips it into like a syrup or into juice and then dips it into the salt. You're going to get salt on the inside of the rim. Mm. It's going to get into your cocktail. It's just going to change out the balance of what you were looking to do. And that salt won't have been shaken through. Um, so you might at the last sip, just get all of that salt that's been sitting at the bottom. Not desirable, not the best way to do it. So one other pro tip that I would say is if you're serving these, maybe you make up a pitcher of margaritas, which is a fantastic option to be able to do making that up. And if you're going to bring it out to be able to serve your, your guests, if you chose not to add salt to the batch, you could half rim each of your glasses and then your guests can drink out of whichever side they prefer. So yeah, it can go kind of salty, no salty, depending on their own preference. Very cool. hundred percent. So let's talk a little bit more about the classic formulation with some of the more aged expressions of, of tequila. And then we'll talk about some uh, margarita variants. So you know, you mentioned that, you know, you kind of have the the perfect margarita with reposado. Do you change anything in terms of the ratios? And let's say you did want to use, um, say, an Añejo instead, if that's your kind of preferred flavor profile for tequila, or you just want to give it a try. Is there anything that someone who wants something that's going to be as, you know, still in that kind of very classic margarita format, but is maybe going to use one of these other expressions of Patron? What, what if anything, should they think about when they're building those cocktails? So for me, the most important part is starting with a high quality tequila. And so you can definitely silver Reposado fairly easily interchange. I normally would would steer away from using Añejo in a margarita. Mm -hmm. I find that there's other cocktails that it suits better, but there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to try it, if you want a little bit more of that barrel characteristic to go through there. But I do find that that ratio pretty much stays the same. Of that ounce and a half, one ounce, three quarters, um, ounce and a half of your tequila, the most important part is using 100% the agave tequila. Every tequila that Patron uses is made from 100% the agave. If we take it back to the story of where we were talking about that frozen margarita, that gave mm -hmm. rise to kind of a problem as far as tequila was concerned. Mm. That frozen margarita machine and this rise in the popularity of the cocktail meant that there was an immediate strain on how much tequila was needed to come into the U.S. You have to keep in mind that the Blue Weber agave, which is the only type of agave that can be used to make tequila, takes about five to seven years to grow. And so if you haven't planned for some sudden boom in the, in the cocktail world, then you are just ticking along at your normal progress. And so suddenly you're met with this increased demand and no real way out. And so the, the regulatory body for tequila, they decided that they were going to change the rules of tequila. They would keep tequila where it just had the name of tequila, but they were going to change that you had to only have 51% of agave and 49% of the rest of it could be any other sugar. So essentially, wow. you were able to double your production for half the cost. Then they also introduced 100% the agave tequila. And so that was where no other sugars could be added into it. And it has a lot more tighter laws to it. It couldn't be shipped out in bulk. It had to be bottled in Mexico inside of that specific region, Jalisco and a few surrounding states. And so there was much, basically much harder to make a hundred percent the agave tequila. And so throughout the eighties, we see a rise in those 
tequilas that were 51 and 49. We refer to them as a mixto. That's kind of the, the nickname that those get, but just tequila, just to kind of keep it a little bit clearer, it would just be tequila without that 100% the agave on there. I see. And so that gave rise to that type of spirit entering into America. We had about 30 brands that were coming into the U.S. in the 80s, and about three of those were going to be 100% the agave. That's 1989 is when Patron is born. And that was exactly from seeing that opportunity, seeing that that making that tequila in that really great way led to the boom in tequila. There's there's no doubt in anyone's mind that tequila would not be as popular as it is right now if it wasn't for Patron and that handcrafted quality tequila coming in and showing people what tequila should taste like. After that point, you can literally track it through the years as Patron gains more popularity and starts to spread out throughout the U.S., you start to see that now 100% the agave takes over um, as the number one seller, whereas before it was definitely that mixto was was going to be more popular. And so that's just to kind of bring it back. What you're looking for with any time that you're making a cocktail or a margarita, you want to know what you're putting into it. If you're going to be hand squeezing uh, limes, you're going to be going out to the store to get all of these ingredients and, and prep and batch and do all of that stuff. You better be using a good quality tequila. It's going to lift up that perfect, crisp taste of the margarita. And 100% the agave Patron is, is definitely going to be the best way. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about some variations on the margarita that people might be familiar with. So first and foremost, and maybe almost uh, to this point, it's so popular that it's it's in some people's mind. Maybe when I had asked you how to build a margarita, they're surprised uh, you didn't give the recipe for a Tommy's margarita. So how does that vary, and and do you have a preferred kind of uh, formulation for that drink? Yeah, so the Tommy's margarita was created in a bar in San Francisco uh, by a man named Julio Bermejo, and. I, I think it's basically now, to most people, it's the most popular version of of the margarita. It's become kind of a twist on that classic of mm-hmm. using Patron Silver as, as your base. And then you're going to, instead of using an orange liqueur, you're going to use agave nectar and then lime juice. And that's it. Just shaking it up. If you go to Tommy's and you see them do it, they add it all into a blender, but they don't blend it. They just use the handle on the outside of the blender to give it a shake and a swirl, combine huh. everything together, and pour it right into the glass. And ratio-wise, are we looking at something similar to the kind of classic formulation? For us, with that, you want to bump up your tequila a little bit more. And so for for this, you can use Patron Silver or Patron Reposado, two ounces of that. And then it's going to be one ounce of fresh lime juice and then half an ounce of agave nectar. And again, the sweetness is is where you can modify. Stick with the ratios for the rest of it, but you can modify that sweetness by using less or more agave nectar. I would start with a quarter of an ounce and bump it up to a half an ounce depending on how sweet you like it. And similarly with that, would you prefer to serve that up or do you serve that on the rocks or what? That one's going to be served on the rocks. They're they're going to take it and they're going to shake it all together and then pour everything in. For me, if I'm making a cocktail at home, I want to get it as cold as I can, as quickly as I can, and then I want to keep it cold. And so I always strain off the ice, the the shaking ice, onto fresh ice, and then you've got a cold beverage going onto a a cold ice in a glass and it's going to stay cold way, way longer. I said cold a lot right there. <laughs> it's it's an important part of the cocktail, it, it the serving temperature is. and it, keeping it that way. And then um, some of the other variants that people might see out in the wild, 
I definitely went through a Cadillac margarita phase. There's a, the, the bartender's margarita, which despite having been a bartender, I'm not sure I, I guess has cranberry juice or whatever. Can you kind of walk through a couple of those? And they, they feel like 80s relics to some extent, although maybe not as extremely as the frozen margarita. Although obviously that's also having a comeback. So. Yeah, that, that was going to be the two that I would think that are the, the most popular twists on it would be taking the frozen margarita. We usually make those if, if most of the time, if you're making a frozen margarita, you're making two of them. You're making it for someone else along the way. And so we would take that recipe and double it. So we would take four ounces of Patron Silver, an ounce and a half of Citron Orange, then one ounce of lime juice. You don't need it as tart for this, but we add in half an ounce of fresh squeezed orange juice and then okay. one ounce of agave syrup. You want that to kind of, you want to bump up the sweetness on this a lot more. And so adding all of that in together into a blender and you'll add in two cups of ice and blend it all up until it's nice and smooth and consume right away. The other one that I've got to admit, I'm not a fan of, I'm, I guess growing up in Ireland, like salt and pepper is about as spicy as we make things. Mm. And so I'm not totally, I live in Texas, but I'm not used to the spicy world here, but I've definitely made in my time, tons of spicy margaritas. And really it's just about adding in just a little bit of jalapeno. There's a couple of ways that you can do it. You could infuse your Patron Silver by adding in a jalapeno, slicing it up, taking out, depending on how spicy you want it. If you just want the greenness of the jalapeno to be added in, then you would remove all of the seeds and all of the white part from it and add that in. And really, it only takes about a day. Or if you want it spicy, cut the whole thing up, drop it in there and allow it to infuse I would start tasting it around eight hours after you've started the infusion. And when it gets to the spice level that you want to be at, then go ahead and strain everything off and stop that infusion. If you want to make it a little bit more simple, what you can do is also just take a a, a ring, like depending on how much jalapeno that you want, drop it into the bottom of your shaker, muddle it. You can use a wooden muddler, or if you don't even have a muddler at home, just hot sauce bottle <laughs> and press that down to be able to press out all of the the heat from that and kind of allow it to be able to absorb up the the margarita that you're going to make add in your your margarita basically i would take the the classic margarita ounce and a half of patron silver one ounce of citron orange three quarters of an ounce of lime and and then add in whatever amount of sweetness that you would like quarter ounce to a half ounce in on top of that and shake it up and I would serve this on the rocks. You want that coolness and keeping that nice and cool, allow a little bit of dilution. But yeah, not not my thing, but I I make a good one for sure. And those are two <laughs> kind of secrets to success. Gotcha. Okay. And then maybe my last question uh, in this vein before we kind of wrap things up is, you know, you mentioned in the blended margarita, adding a little bit of orange juice. I think, you know, you definitely run across things in the wild labeled as margaritas that include all kinds of other citrus, even maybe like pineapple or passion fruit. I mean, we definitely have this, you know, sort of uh, habit in this country of kind of adding just about anything into a drink and, and retaining the name. <laughs> if people do want to play around with other fruits, is there anything besides, you know, technically, I guess a jalapeno is a fruit too, but if they're looking at more classic kind of fruit additions, is there anything that you think goes particularly well, or should they really just stick with the classic? No, I'm a huge fan of taking twists on the margarita. As long as you, I see like classic cocktails as a blueprint. And as long as you understand what that blueprint is, then you're free to add on more to it. What you've got to remember is that it's got to have tequila. It's got to be either Patron Silver, or if you're looking for other flavors that complement, um, depending, like if I was using passion fruit or mango, 
I would want the the vanilla notes that Reposado is going to bring brought out. And so I would use Reposado with those kind of cocktails. But yeah, adding in fresh mango puree or fresh passion fruit, those are awesome twists on a, on a margarita. The other one that you see a lot in Texas, and it's starting to spread out more and more, is the Mexican martini, which, although it doesn't have the name margarita, is essentially a, um, and we could talk at length about the history of this story, but really what it is at its base is a reposado margarita shaken using Patron reposado and then shaken and served up in a small martini glass and garnished with an olive or two. And it's the brine of that. You want the olives to come straight out from the jar. You're not going to add any of the brine to it, but that's going to add the salinity to it. It sounds like such a weird combination. I'm not normally a big fan of olives to eat them by themselves. Um, I love them in a dirty martini and I love, I absolutely love the Mexican martini. If you were going to try one thing, I would highly recommend doing this one. Just adding a little bit of, or two of those olives right on the side. Uh, and getting that salinity to go through your cocktail. I have heard this from, I have some family in Texas uh, that's told me about the this drink. I have not yet tried one, but on the strength of that recommendation, I might just have to. Okay, Stephen, before we, before we go, anything else just in terms of the margarita as a cocktail, any last words of wisdom you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think we, we as we've seen this story evolve and we've seen how the cocktail has, has kind of changed and, and, add some additions to it the one thing that has always remained the same is is using great quality tequila that's the thing as far as patron has been concerned we really married ourselves to that classic margarita that has always been the cocktail that we've kind of really pushed and we've become synonymous with that cocktail i would just recommend if you're making a margarita and you're going to use a quality tequila like patron silver that has had so much work go into it so much steps of uh, labor that goes into it that you want to do the same justice to your margarita that you're going to make and so fresh squeezing your juice using a high quality orange liqueur like citronge orange and then serving it up or on the rocks and using good quality ice making sure that that cocktail gets nice and cold and that you're serving it over over your favorite type of ice well steven this has been fantastic it's like nine in the morning here but i might have to go make myself a margarita (laughs) i'm definitely thirsty for sure (laughs) excellent well i really appreciate your time learning more about this iconic cocktail its history and and how it's best made these days thank you so much absolutely thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it This podcast series is in partnership with Patron Tequila, the world's number one super premium tequila that is passionately handcrafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico. To learn more about Patron, visit PatronTequila.com.